Too many who know the angles Uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle be in Dapper Dan Gavazdan, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, which definitely count. And I'm Mischievous Marchinocchio, and I too own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, but Dan, when are you going to learn? The annuals, they don't count. Never, Mark. Never. Well, thanks to everybody for joining us for this special bonus episode, which is specifically an episode 4.1 I, 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 this me, my way of avoiding saying it's our four point first episode. Mainly, I think because we do these point ones as a sort of spoof of Marvel's publishing line. But anyway, this is episode 4.1 of season five of the Amazing Spider Talk, the show where two fans and collectors uncover the strange, fun, and fascinating history of the Spider Man comic universe. Yeah, I mean, maybe we should call this episode episode 4.00W or something. <laughs> because if you want to swing along with us on our journey through Spidey's past, present, and future. Did I call it, say president and future? Spidey's past, present, and future. Subscribe to Amazing Spider Talk on your favorite podcast app. Every other week, we put out a mainline episode of our flagship show. And sprinkled in between, we review new comics as well as interview some of the greatest Spider-Man creators of yesterday and today. This is the perfect time to start listening. Yeah, in this season of The Amazing Spider-Talk, we're going back to the mid-80s when comics were changing, embracing new visual styles, aging up with their audience, and ditching formulas that had defined serialized superheroes for decades. For Spider-Man, that change came with the beloved run of Roger Stern and John Romita Jr., a short but unforgettable series of comics whose impacts are still felt in today's webbed adventures. But today, we'll be taking a bit of a detour and taking a look at one of the most impactful stories of this era that wasn't to be found in the pages of The Amazing Spider-Man. That's right, Dan, because if you want to talk about comics that don't count, we're going to be talking about Spectacular Spider-Man as a follow-up to our previous episode that was all about the Black Cat. We'll be swinging over to Bill Mantlo's run of stories in the pages of Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man. Sorry, not just Spectacular. Specifically, <laughs> issues number 73 to 79, also known as the Owl-Octopus War, a.k.a. OOW. <laughs> this story has never been collected and isn't even available on Marvel Unlimited, which is like a really big shame. Uh, but that's Marvel Unlimited for you. Nevertheless, remains one of Spider-Man's most memorable uh, as a peak climactic moment in his battle with Doc Ock and uh, also was the foundation for his relationship with Felicia Hardy, a.k.a. the Black Cat. So, Dan, uh, why don't we get into it? Why are we why are we highlighting this story? Right. Yeah, well, we had mentioned it on our, our Black Cat episode, like you said. 
we just kind of felt like it was time for us to kind of go into a little more detail on this. Although I, I do think that we have covered this, I think all the way back in an episode of our, of our superior spider talk, when we talked about issue 10 of superior Spider-Man, I think this story got like a, like a, a shout out in, in that issue. And we thought to cover it, but that was eight years ago, Mark. So, yeah, uh, I mean, that was a lifetime ago, Dan, that was like three years before I said I would have quit the show by this point or, <laughs> or something like that. There but, was yeah. like, we have like BC and AD of our show, which is like before Mark said he would quit. And then after the deadline, <laughs> when you said you would quit this show. Yes. Yeah, so as, as you said, this is, I mean, this is a storyline that we've talked about before. I mean, both recently in our Black Hat episode, but, but you know, a few, many, many years ago. This is a, this is a personal favorite of mine. I, I I wouldn't call it like my favorite of all time, but this is this is among my favorite stories for the uninitiated. And as you as we said in the intro, you can't find it in the collection anywhere. So let's spell it out for you. The Owl Octopus Wars is Spectacular Spider-Man issue 73 to 79. Uh, the script is by Bill Mantlo. The art is mostly Al Milgram, although Bob Hall fills in on an issue or two. And Jim Mooney uh, provides the inks. Among the reasons why we're talking about this and this story has some importance, I mean, this is primarily a Spidey Doc Ock arc. There is like another kind of the the owl element kind of comes in and out briefly, hence Owl Octopus Wars. The arc also finally put to bed the the semi romance or 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 pseudo romance between Peter and Deb Whitman in an issue that that you highlighted last time out as uh, one of your favorite covers of all time spectacular Spider-Man number 74 uh, very it was a very kind cover to Deb Whitman we had talked about this a bit in some of our earlier episodes this season and even a little bit last season you know the, the this period of the 80s was kind of a big transition period for Marvel you know things are getting dark grittier etc and you know kind of going on in the background this time you had frank miller's daredevil still kind of wrapping up you could tell that the spider spider office wanted to get in on the fun so there's kind of this whole storyline going on in the background between uh, the punisher going on trial and boomerang is there and uh kingpin shows up a bit so like there's definitely like some some frank miller uh roots in in this story as well peter more or less completes his grad school or at least like it, it gets further advanced here so i mean you know a lot of a lot of context here and then of course as we said earlier too the storyline is very significant for more or less kicking off officially the romance between spider-man and black cat so i mean it's a historic story a lot going on and 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 of course out of all this too what is probably the most significant development of this storyline beyond black cat dan there's a lot to, to develop here, but there's like a big change for Spider-Man and Dr. Octopus in, in this storyline. You know, and I think Marvel editorial must have known how big this story was going to be. They gave it, you know, an extended page lengths within, within the issues. I mean, I think issue, you know, issue like 75 is like a, a 35 pager. You know, one of the big things like, like I was getting to is that Dr. Octopus and Spider-Man's relationship seems... I don't know if forever changed is the right way to put it, but at least for like, oh, at least a decade, their relationship was completely changed into one of, you know, fear on Dr. Octopus's part. You know, I was looking through the books, like checking what the next really 
I would consider major Dr. Octopus story on this level would be. I mean, I know you started reading Spider-Man comics with a big Doc Ock story, but even that still felt like a fallout to this. The next real like mono to mono one I was really thinking of was maybe 2003's Countdown by Paul Jenkins and Humberto Ramos that started in Spectacular number six. Unless I'm forgetting something here. I mean, I know there was like Sinister Six stuff and and things like that, but the really like one-on-one auto Spidey stuff, do you think it's Countdown? I mean, you can make a case maybe like Web of Death, although that was, they weren't really... That was actually kind of different in that they weren't adversaries. And then, of course, like Otto, after getting killed by Kane, got resurrected by the hand. And then him and Spidey had to throw down a bit. But it wasn't of the level like 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 you said. I mean, this this idea of, you know, you go through the first what would it be almost 25 years of the character at this point uh, or 20 years or so. You know, it was obviously Green Goblin was one of the, the arch foes and Doc Ock was kind of 1B. I feel like this story shunted Otto down for a while. I mean, I think he's back up on that level again, thanks to, I mean, frankly, thanks to Dan Slott. But I mean, you know, there were probably a couple of stories prior to Dan Slott that kind of elevated Otto again. But like, you know, the the character, you know, the character was kind of pushed down and and others kind of, you know, the Goblin and the Osborne saga always kind of stayed. Uh, but then there was like Venom and Carnage and, you know, like he, he wasn't he wasn't a draw anymore, if you will. <laughs> the way this storyline resolved is a major reason. I mean, you know, it was pretty it was a it's a pretty definitive story for their relationship and their dynamic as as as, you know, foes. It's definitely a bookend of kind of like the Silver Bronze Age Spidey Doc Ock dynamic for sure. I mean, it's 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 the it's the end of that. <laughs> Big changes on on that level, and and re- changes that were respected. Really, I mean, that kind of birth that these writers gave to Doc Ock and, and respecting the conclusion to this storyline, you know, shows that people really valued this story why Marvel hasn't reprinted it or uploaded it to their digital streaming service is, is totally beyond me. Obviously you can buy it on comiXology and, you know, various other places, but just like a lot of spectacular, I think this book is kind of overlooked. You don't see it on a lot of top 10 stories of Spider-Man's history or even top 30 stories of Spider-Man's history. And I think it's purely because it was told in a B title and uh, Bill Mantlo is writing it. And Bill Mantlo has kind of not really ever received, you know, full, I don't know if credit is the right word, but really the kind of like accolades that like his lengthy time on the book probably deserves. Although we've beaten up on Bill Mantlo and some of his stories here and there. I think maybe that he never got elevated to a lead ASM writer, never really allowed people to kind of look back on his stories with the spotlight that they deserve, especially one like this. If Bill Mantlo enjoyed the career of like Jan Demetrius and kind of got a run on it on ASM at some point, they, you know, people would look back on the story as like, oh, you see, this is where the seeds were planted for Mantlo's run. But, you know, alas, that's that's how it worked out. But and, you know, but certainly this is a great, a great story. I mean, it's certainly my favorite story that he wrote on this title. Let's get into a little bit of just a general synopsis. Why don't we trade back and forth beats here? It's worth noting, like, what's going on? What is the actual owl and octopus war 
that that the 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 title of the arc implies although it's really only the first few issues that are an owl octopus war but the, the war itself <laughs> is you know the owl uh of of daredevil fame and doc ock are both vying for uh one of those wonderful MacGuffin things it's a detonator and you kind of have kingpin in the middle playing both sides uh off of each other there's like two pieces to this thing. There's the the yeah the like you said the detonator and the bomb itself, which it's like a neutron bomb. If I if I'm not correct, sounds okay. good. Okay. Sure, <laughs> fine. Um, so like at this point in time, Black Cat is presumed dead, as we talked about in our previous episode, where Spidey webs her up and she falls off the pier to drown in the the Hudson. Or was it the East River? I can't quite remember. It's where the George Washington Bridge is. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Well, you know, guess what? Just as coincidentally, it just so happens that when she's able to slip free of Spider-Man's webbing because it's attached to her costume, in every fanboy's dream, Black Cat removes her costume. But, oh, no, this is not your tentacle porn. It's Dr. Octopus who is coming up from the deep to uh, grab her. Apparently he was on watch and his henchmen were just ready to grab her and bring her, uh, you know, aboard. But she managed to escape and she returns presumed from the dead and steals the detonator from the kingpin, uh, which then obviously puts a target uh, on her. You know, now at this point, everyone is after Black Cat and, and Spidey's kind of working to protect her. Now, what what's kind of interesting here is... The owl wants the detonator basically because he's like, I, I want to extort the city. You know, I, I want the detonator for, for power and money, which is, you know, perfectly reasonable for like a criminal mastermind. Doc Ock, and like, I mean, like this is like, you know, we talk about Doc Ock a lot in this story in terms of his relationship to Spider-Man. But like this is like kind of I feel like, you know, a little like really nuts even for him. He's just like, no, I want the detonator because I'm just going to blow everything up. And like, and he even says that to Kingpin. Kingpin's like, you know, if you get this, you know, we can do that. You know, we can negotiate. And he's like, no, you'll be dead. Everyone's going to be dead. <laughs> and it's just like, whoa! <laughs> like, what? It ta- it, like, it what, takes what, me- what crawled up to Doc Ock's butt today? <laughs> <laughs> it takes me back to that Frank Miller annual uh, with the Punisher. Doc Ock is just looking for carnage first and foremost. I, I think this kind of like. Wrinkle for him would be somewhat amended in ASM number 600, where, you know, his goal is to take over the entire city and run it because he is of the superior intellect and can make everything more efficient. And it's like, to me, that's like a little more in line with what I understand Otto here. Like, I I guess the idea here is like Otto is the superior being, so everyone else should be destroyed. I'm glad that we kind of walk that back a little bit in future Otto stories. So so basically, you know, as I mentioned earlier, the gang war itself kind of ends uh, within Spectacular 77 and it kind of shifts to a very personal battle between Spidey and Doc Ock that was preempted by the fact that, you know, in the middle of all this uh, fighting, Felicia gets like shot up with like every single weapon under the sun <laughs> from Doc Ock's men. So that, she gets so like that... speared through the, the shoulder and the leg and it's like... Who even yeah, has they're, they're, spears in this? There are bullets, there are spears, there are like writhing tentacles going after her. I mean, like, it's it's really just like 
let's just take everything we can and just throw it at Felicia. And that happened. I mean, you know, like, I'm surprised they didn't just like hit her with a fridge because that's basically what they're setting up here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, that's important to like note too that like Felicia is mostly a damsel in distress in this book. She has a couple of moments where she gets to do stuff. And I think we talked about this. It's like her return for all of the value that she holds as like a lover of Spider-Man that can kind of stand on her own. This book kind of quickly shoves her into the typical damsel in distress thing. And then, you know, locks her into a bed where she has is forced to retain that kind of position. Say what you will about, you know, giving women characters agency and stuff here, but it's clearly being done to to drive the drama and to up up the stakes here for Spidey, you know, the fact that, you know, in the in his relationship with Otto, I mean, you know, it's not like Otto has has lived a a, a nice life with in terms of Spider-Man here. I mean, you know, he's ki- he's responsible for killing Captain Stacy. I mean, I mean there's a long history here between these two characters, but like they they're clearly trying to set up, you know, what's to come between Spidey and Doc Ock, and the only way they do that is to I guess to really drive the, the drama here between these these two characters and, and, and enraged Spidey. So like what essentially happens here is we set up after, you know, Felicia's bedridden, the, probably one of the best single issues, I would say, of all time in spectacular history, which is The Long Goodbye. That's spectacular number 78. And it's basically, you know, after Spidey and Otto have their first fight over Felicia's presumed death or or near death and spidey like physically dominates otto in this fight like he rips his arms out and like otto is like writhing in pain and and it, it but like it, it what's kind of weird is you would think after doing something so physically dominant spidey would be feeling pretty confident and it's instead it's the opposite because he knows otto is just like out to this destroy him after this like he didn't kill otto and and he knows what next time he crosses paths it might be the last his you know his last day as day on earth so long goodbye is this really poignant issue where spidey and peter are meeting with like friends and family and aunt may and all this you know saying goodbye basically to them because you know there's this expectation that you know otto is coming and when he does it's going to be carnage and it's br- brilliantly done too i mean just the kind of pacing of this this is where the book i think kind of hits its peak like just the visual pacing, the way the the economy of storytelling, building up to the end of this issue, it's really thrilling. It culminates obviously with the two of them fighting again, and it's this great scene where Spidey's jumping out the hospital window to just take Otto on, and you know, like whatever whatever comes next, it come, you know, let let fate be, let fate decide. You know, the two you know have this like you know carnage filled issue of number seventy nine. But it ends with Spidey once again getting the upper hand and actually saving Otto and 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 humbling him as a result. And then basically, you know, asserting his dominance one more time and, and saying, like, you will never beat me. And and that's and that's kind of where this ends. It's, you know, Spidey and Felicia go off as the happy lovers. And Spidey just has this decisive victory over Otto as decisive as one as he's ever had. And, and that's where the, the status quo between the two characters kind of shifts for 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 quite some time. Yeah, and I think it's important to note, like you said, like 79 is basically this like all out like fight. I think the anticipation that like likely builds after reading 78, like could you imagine? I mean, we weren't alive when this 
book came out, or maybe we were really just too young to read it. I'm not exactly sure the exact date. And <laughs> compared I think to, it's like 83, so I would have been alive, but you wouldn't have been. But neither yeah. one of us would have been reading it. <laughs> right, right, right. That, that's more my point, which is like waiting that month to get to 79 must have been killer, like just full of anticipation. Because that I can't think of a better final page, you know, really, in, in many Spider-Man comics. You know, maybe it's akin to like another... Ock issue that we talked about recently, like 798 and, uh, or not 798, uh, 6, 698 and like what, what that felt like for us. Um, but like, what a cool thing. And so, you know, I, I think we'll talk about this a little bit later, but like to have it be just kind of a standard, like two guys just throwing everything at each other that 79 was is, is a little bit of a letdown. I mean, it's kind of what you're sold on, but it's basically like just a big punching issue of, people tearing buildings down to kind of get at each other. And there are some visual thrills to that, but it's mostly just like nothing but knuckles for, for all issue. It is the Snyder cut of spectacular. That's all I can say. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, let's, let's take a pause here to talk about our slack mark. Absolutely. Uh, Hundreds of listeners like you hang out in our community of Spider-Man fans on Slack. The amazing Spider-Slack community is absolutely free to join, and you can jump into active conversations with awesome people about collecting, conventions, movies, new comics, old comics, and more. Yeah, I hang out there all the time. Uh, Just this week, we've been discussing how Spider-Man is one of the few Marvel characters that still has a citizen-supporting cast. Although increasingly less by the day. Uh, and also, who knows if they're alive, dead, or what. Yeah, if you want to join this awesome Spider-Man community just to talk about Spider-Man with a bunch of friends, follow the link in the description and uh, be sure to say hi in our Spider-Slack. And once you're there, you know, let us know what you thought of this new episode. If you enjoyed Mark and my conversation about the Owl-Octopus War. And speaking of that conversation, let's get right back to it mark you know as as i've already kind of alluded to a couple of times dan i mean you know the 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 gang war element of this story it's not as pronounced as we would see certainly in previous issues of spider-man that were kind of promising a war between rival uh underworld bosses and 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 frankly i think that has a lot to do with the fact that owl himself you know leland owsley I mean, he's not really a Spider-Man villain, which, you know, certainly during the Roger Stern era didn't stop him from having good stories. But I, I just get this sense that Mantlo, while writing this arc, is highly uninterested in 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 exploring any kind of drama between Spidey and Owl. I mean, it's like, you know, they kind of bring him in, they're setting things up, but what they're really trying to set up is is the blood feud between... A Spidey and Otto. So, I mean, it just kind of keeps the, the, the stakes uneven. Also, I mean, it's like, you know, Owl is in this because he just wants to s- screw around and, 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 and get power and money. And, you know, Otto's incentive is all out destruction, you know, millions of people dead. Again, you're looking at the stakes here and it's like, ah, <laughs> <Right>. you know, <laughs> do, do we really care about this other side here when you got Otto, one of Spidey's chief nemeses who's 
just really out to get him and then out to kill everyone else. Like, you know, it it, it kind of diminishes Owl from the onset. So, you know, it's the Owl-Octopus War, but it's really the Spidey-Octopus War, I think, is what the story boils down to. Yeah, that's 100% right. Although I do appreciate the Owl being in the story, if only for the use of the setting of the airy that's in a couple of issues. And you get these, like, weird trippy, almost uh, Dicko-esque renderings of of this airy um, and the like dozens of people that are battling in it. Although one of the weird art details I'll note about this issue is that I feel like due to a uh, lettering error or maybe it was a coloring error, the henchmen are like, at least in my mind, miscolored throughout this book because Otto's henchmen are like, like brown, like an owl, whereas the henchmen of the owl are like Otto Octavius's classic colors. And now I know the owl wears green just like Otto, but like they're like green and yellow and they look like the henchmen from, you know, Master Planner. And so I wonder if that was a switch up or they just like were like both these guys wear the same color. So we'll just make Otto's brown. But I've always thought that that was a really strange choice. But again, the area is this wonderful location. You know, I do think the art here does tend a little bit more towards the Ditko-esque uh, version of the character. So it's kind of neat to see this get some trippy visuals. I never get a real sense of like what the area feels like as a place. Like it's not grounded at all, but I'll trade that for some trippy Spidey visuals any day. We can talk a little bit more about the art in detail in a little bit, but like, you know, it's it the the art throughout this arc is kind of, you know, it's a, it's a mixed bag where you get these you get these really cool visuals and 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 perspectives and like you say some trippy, fun stuff and then you know you kind of then get some very I feel like unimaginative uh, kind of paint by number stuff. I mean, like you know Al Milgram. Great, great guy, one of the great creators to to kind of pass through Marvel. But frankly, Milgram's claim to fame for years is that he was the filling guy. I mean, you needed a script, you needed you needed pencils, you needed inks. Al Milgram was your guy, and clearly, like you know, Spectacular throughout its history has always kind of been like the book of oh crap, we 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 have a script, but we don't have an artist, or we have an artist and we don't have a script. Who can we get to put this together? <laughs> and that's and that's what and you know and that's kind of what you end up getting with 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 Al Octopus here. So like, you know, some of it's great and then some of it is kind of like, eh, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, but you've written a lot of uh, like best of Spidey auto fights. And if I'm not correct or mistaken, you know, pre-superior, I think you listed this as your favorite Spider-Man Otto Octavius battle. Does that still hold up for you or has it been kind of replaced or has time turned for you a little bit on this one? Yes, I think I think that stands. I mean, you know, there were some great showdowns during Superior, but like, I don't know, like this this one truly felt epic in every sense of the way. And I feel like this really defined who the two characters were at this point in time and kind of define their history a bit. Whereas frankly, you know, as good as some of those superior fights were, I mean, those kind of came the, 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 the drama and the stakes and, and the legacy of those fights have were, and I, and I don't say this to kind of put it down because I like that era a lot, but it was, it, it was kind of manufactured. Whereas this feels 
a lot more organic. I mean, this is this is resting on the history that these two characters had built for a really long time at this point. Whereas, frankly, you know, in the modern era, as we discussed at the very beginning of this episode, like a lot of that had been diluted, frankly, by 20 years of weak stories between these two characters that was caused by this story. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it was like people not wanting to touch these two characters again because of where this storyline left it. To me, this is the definitive Sp- classic Spidey, classic Otto fight. Like you can't, you know, it, it, it is it is as epic as you know Spidey Green Goblin in one twenty two. You know, like it's 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 the classic fight of these two characters. You know, typically we land on team brevity, but I do think there is something to the amount of pages dedicated towards this fight. It really has like a rise and a fall, and then another rise and fall, and it it, it keeps its momentum going. I mean, I think if I were to like say my favorite Otto Octavius fights, like I, I think about all my favorite Dr. Octopus stories, like Master Planner and stuff, but I don't even really remember those as Otto Octavius stories. He's almost incidental to my love of those stories. And, you know, Superior, obviously that's not the case, but I, like it's not really a, like other than issue 700, it's not really a showdown between Spider-Man and Otto. And even when we do get the showdown in 700, I don't remember much about that fight. It was more the anticipation of that that made that story so interesting. Um, although there is certainly that here in The Long Goodbye, as you said. But uh, yeah, I think I think this really ranks up there. I would put maybe like some of the fights in Ultimate Spider-Man are certainly like up there as well. But I do think they draw a lot from... From this, you know, I think of like even in that book with Spider-Man tearing Otto's arms off, it's clearly an homage to this story. So I don't think that that story could fly, you know, without this story, you know, providing at the runway, if you will. So I, I think you're right. If this isn't my favorite Otto fight, it's certainly in my top three. So, you know. So now, of course, I mean, we'll get back to some auto and Spidey stuff, but we do need to talk about, I mean, part of the reason why this is a a point one or a point OOW or however you want to put it, where it's branching off episode four. I mean, that was our our Peter uh, Felicia episode. But like, I mean, it's this story is also historic, frankly, because it really does kick off the relationship between Spider-Man and Black Cat and, you know, we had a lot to say about that relationship two weeks ago, so I don't want to completely re repeat ourselves with that. But you know, it, it, it the the timing was certainly good. I mean, you know, like you you, you first of all, you're, we're in a B book here, so I guess you could t- probably take more risk at this point. But you know, MJ is out of the picture. Stern hadn't brought her back yet. You know, Gwen is obviously you know out of the picture. And it's the first time we had a relationship with with where the relationship was more centralized on Spider-Man, not Peter. And and frankly, like before the Spider-Man black hat relationship gets a little bizarre, like, you know, meeting the mother and whatnot, because <laughs> the mother does show up in this arc. But like, she Spidey does, probably yeah. leaves the hospital because it's like it's inappropriate for me to meet my girlfriend's mother as Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> no one no one can imagine that ever happening. You're right. Exactly. Like, why would that be happening? Ten issues from now. I don't know. Like Spider-Man and black hat are quite sweet together i mean yes as you noted earlier she she's she's a damsel in distress but like even before she's injured you know there's this scene where you know spidey's coming to her defense 
And, you know, she's like, she sees it as like this declaration of love. She's like, that's as close as a declaration of love as I'm ever going to get from Spider-Man. So I'm ready to, I'm ready to, to stick with him and be with him. And it's, you know, like it's, it seems very authentic and sincere and you're, you're, I don't know, like I'm, I'm rooting for these two characters, the way this storyline frames them. I mean, am I, am I, am I fan fictioning it a little too much here, Dan? <laughs> No, I think this is a great, you know, story. Would I like Black Cat to be more active in it? Yeah, but I think she gets her few moments and she really takes one for the team, so to speak. I I think it's a really strong story between the two of them and probably the definitive story for Black Cat and Spider-Man's relationship that wasn't kind of retconned in later. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you there. Although I do want to pour one out for poor Deb Whitman because this storyline is also the one that sees her kind of head off to bluer pastures or at least are greener pastures rather. So that I guess with Deb Whitman, everything's blue. (laughs) (laughs) She gets her, she gets her, her happy ending with Biff Rifkin or whatever his name is. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Which reminded me that like Whitman isn't actually her real last name. It was her, like her abusive ex-husband's last name because we couldn't, heap on more pain onto Deb Whitman. She is this way because she was abused by her ex-husband, or I guess her current husband, because nothing can be good for Deb Whitman. Just, just nothing but pain for that character in this universe. What a character, Dan. What a character. <laughs> <laughs> just wanted to acknowledge uh, poor Deb, who gets... Spider-Man decides to reveal his identity to her, and she is so cracked up about it that she like doesn't accept it and is like, thank you, Peter, for she thank thank you for gaslighting me to the cure. Could you imagine that story being written today? No, you can't. Kind of branching off again the 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 Peter uh or the Spider-Man uh Black Cat dynamic, you know, we mentioned earlier Black Cat getting, you know, hit with every single weapon and you can imagine and even some that you can't imagine. And which sets up like this this really brutal fight the the first crescendo that you referred to earlier between spider-man and otto and you you talked about it earlier in terms of being homaged in ultimate but so the scene where spider-man rips off the arms of otto i want to talk about this dan because like this is like one of those things where i reread the story again this weekend and you know for this for this issue for this episode and frankly it's been a few years since i've read it last and, and like i had like different opinions on things and like the scene where he's like ripping the arms off it's a great scene you know, it sells the rage and the fury of Spider-Man that he's just going to go to that point. But it, like, part of me is like, wait, if it was that easy, wouldn't have he have done this like years ago? And so it kind of like, it bring, it, you know, it's two questions for me. It's like, is it is this a truly realistic option for Spider-Man or is this just like like the only way you could show Spider-Man is just that angry and infuriated about what happened with Otto and, and Felicia, that this is his only response. I mean, where, where, where does it fall for you? I think there's certainly something to the, the kind of raw anger that he feels like you were saying, and the kind of pure emotion that's powering it. And that that might be the thing that's dri- driving him to be so violent in a way that he hasn't in the past, rather than just like webbing up the tentacles and, knocking him out you know here and and the book leans into it too in terms of the violence right it acknowledges that Otto and his tentacles are like connected mentally and 
tearing his arms off is akin to tearing his or his, or his mechanical arms off is akin to tearing off his actual arms, which gives it a sort of like violence. For me, it's one of those things you roll with because comics, you know, and it works emotionally rather than logically. But you're right. There is some of that, like, why didn't we get to this point a long time ago? And for what it's worth, I do feel like this kind of opens up this kind of less sacred territory for Otto's tentacles moving forward. I, I think it had long been established it was the same pair for, for such a long period of time that he had a mental connection to. And here, I think it starts opening up that like Otto could modify his stuff and and take more dramatic things. And it was more of a choice of his to have these than it was him being kind of permanently bonded to something beyond his choice. So inadvertently, there's some stories, I think, that bloom out of this. But you're right. It is a little bit of a cheap way of ending the conflict by giving Spider-Man an option that he seems to not have had before. It's a great moment, and it really conveys, like I said, the anguish of Spidey. And then, frankly, what it sets up to follow is really great. It's just but like it's just like one of those things. It's like it's just truly like a a cutting of the Gordian knot for Spider-Man or is this just kind of a cheat? You know, upon rereading it and, you know, in lots of retrospect and hindsight, I was like, eh, this kind of feels like a cheat. But like, you know, uh, we'll, we'll forgive it. It's a forgivable cheat. Because what like I said, what do you think about like Milgram or, or Mooney and their kind of like art on moments like this throughout the story? I mean, you said, you know, you felt like maybe they were kind of like fill ins. Do you think they rise to the occasion for moments like this? Or is this like, do you feel a moment this big deserved a like a Romita touch or something like that. No, I would say like in this instance, I felt like they, they, they got, they got this scene, right. It's some of the, the stuff, the transition stuff between these moments that I felt was kind of like, nah, I mean, you know, and, and, and again, kind of going back earlier, you know, we keep joking about Felicia and her getting, you know, assassinated or whatever, you know, like I kind of felt like, that looked a little, so like you said, like, where's the spear coming from? I mean, like, I don't know, like I, I would have just, you know, like given, given what we were dealing with, it was like, I would have liked to see that, that rendered a little more logically instead of just like total, like, let's just throw everything at her. This is framed really well. It's very creatively, the layout's really creative. And, you know, like the anguish that comes across Otto's face as this thing is getting ripped apart is really, you know, it's, it's a stunning amount of brutality for a Spider-Man comic. And there's not, I don't think you see any blood, at least here, uh, you see blood in other parts of this of this issue. It's, it's kind of shocking in its in its in its brutality. And then you, know, you kind of follow that up in the next issue, and Otto is getting you know surgery. And and like to me, this is like a great character touch. Like this is this is this is Matt Lowe really getting into Otto's brain, where you know they're like they're begging him to take anesthesia as they're reattaching his arms, and he's basically like, "No, I want to feel." the pain that I'm going to inflict on Spider-Man and, and Black Cat next time I see them, because this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to rip their appendages off. kind of. And it's like, wow. I mean, that is just so psycho, but like so perfect for this character. You know, speaking of like visual nods, like I, I think Ultimate Spider-Man really borrowed some, from some of the visuals of Otto in surgery here. I have to think that Bendis has some reverence for the Al Octopus War as well. 
you know, this follows up with some kind of strange issues. Like there's this weird issue that kind of focuses on the gladiator as Otto is kind of like recouping and setting up his next plan. And, you know, it's an enjoyable story. It's a weird thing reading like, well, not that this book has been collected, but if you were to read 73 to 79 as the L octopus war, suddenly you're in the middle of this gladiator story. It's, it's in the loo of like, or in the vein of the like, kind of like Ramita senior era where you'd get these long standing story arcs that had multiple tangents. But this one feels especially strange given the focus of everything around it, that you get this kind of like little dip deeper into the daredevil world which makes you think about the owl as well. Like, was there a reason they were bringing daredevil into this? Was the Frank Miller daredevil so hot that it was bleeding its way into some of these other comics? I mean, I imagine, I mean, we also, it it did give us, you know, kind of in that vein too. uh, One uh, one of my favorite, like, you know, pre Nick Spencer boomerang moments, which is he's in the courtroom, you know, because he, he and Punisher are both on trial here. And, you know, Boomerang's plotting his escape and he, he uses a pen to 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 get out. And he's like, you know, you all think that Bullseye has the best aim. Well, that's not true. I do. <laughs> it's like, that's such a, you know, like, I mean, again, like it, it, it took Nick Spencer to elevate uh, Fred Myers to a whole other level. But the, the, the seeds were there. <laughs> and these are the stories well, it, that show. It's, it's funny. He doesn't even go by Fred Myers in, in this story. He's got a completely different name. It's like Fred Spence or something like that. But in any way, and that story's got a fun conclusion where he's in jail and the Punisher's in the cell across from him. And you just like, oh, no, this can't end well for any of the characters <laughs> invo- involved here. Talking about like art and things like that. I mean, it. You mentioned it before, but it, it goes. It's hard to talk about the story without talking about one page in specific, which is the kind of like conclusion to the long goodbye of Spider-Man jumping out the window, and you know the text reads, you know, there's no more time for farewells. There's only time for death, and Spider-Man with this really great like perspective shifting image of him looking down at as Otto climbs up the building towards him. One of one of the most iconic, at least to me, Spider-Man images. I mean, I think that you could kind of critique it on how foreshortening is or isn't used and some of the weird perspective stuff of it. But the dramatic potential of this image is is really paramount. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if this got directly homaged in Raimi's Spider-Man 2, but it kind of feels like it should have. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, like, like this yeah. just feels like... You know these these two characters on this crash course, and this and this image captures that perfectly. I mean, it's this you know they're 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 going straight for each other, and and they, you know as you said earlier too the 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 issue that the content that precedes this one visual is really good stuff too. I mean, this is this is classic character driven Spider Man stuff here. I mean, in the midst of this very action and violent heavy arc you have this one issue which also you know it comes on the heels of another you know like you said this gladiator issue which is kind of like a cool down uh from everything and and you know but like this is this is a cool down in terms of action but it like it 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 really drives the the drama and 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 the stakes and the anxiety here because you have peter he's just he is just convinced that like this is it this is my last 
last day alive. <laughs> you know, I'm going to die because Otto is going to kill me. And he's just making peace and amends with all of his people. And like, like, I mean, you know, the, the, the stuff with that May and Nathan Lubensky was really nice. I mean, he's saying to Nathan, you know, look out for her. And of course, Nathan's like, that boy's troubled. I mean, before we knew that Nathan was a, you know, a chronic gambler and <laughs> you know, all, all of his other problems. To me, like the scene that really kind of tugs at your heartstrings is, is Peter with Flash and uh, Liz and Harry. And it's just, you know, he's toasting them all. And, you know, like you, you're kind of thinking again of the context of all of the years of stories have preceded this and and Peter maybe not being there for this moment uh, because he's got to go deal with Spider-Man stuff. And instead he's here and kind of almost putting off the Spider-Man stuff because he knows that's that's where it's going to get really grim for him. Same is true with his college stuff where he's blowing off his professor and, you know, Marcy and everybody back at the, the college. And you almost feel like he is already just give up and essentially says like, I'm going to give up my grad school because it doesn't compare to my feelings for Felicia. I think what ends up following next, right. I mean, after this story is he does kind of give up and may is like so disappointed in him. Am I, am I misremembering what comes after? No, you're, you're, you're right. It kind of creates a rift between him and aunt may for quite some time. But I, I think the point is really like the penultimate issue of this story is at least in my opinion, the best, part of the story. And I, I think that's pretty common for Spider-Man stories. Unfortunately, is that like finales typically don't live up to the, the potential buildup. But I mean, this is not a bad finale by any stretch. I mean, I think, I think this is, you know, it's, it, it's just, it, it, it kind of runs the course it needs to run. Like there's nothing outside of the fact that Spidey has an opportunity to kind of just let Otto go and, and he, he spares him again, but like he spares him with the caveat of letting him know, like you cannot beat me. And it's like, you know, and I think Otto is like, yeah, he's right. I can't, <laughs> you know, like it's just, it's over, man. Like, like you're done. <laughs> it is rare to see Spider-Man like flexing this kind of bravado over one of his villains. Cause he's not really a, like, a guy that showcases his raw power, you know, like, like don't come at me, you know, he's not one for like, that's not of interest to him, you know, ever since his early days in amazing fantasy 15, it's kind of like, you know, being the superior of other people. And so it's an interesting um, flex, but you know, at least a smart mind game that he, you know, recognizes that for Otto, that's his driving force. And if he can cut that off, he can kind of eliminate Otto from the playing field. So I like that. Like a moment that is out of character, I think is out of character, I think, in a way that makes Spider-Man seem smart and intellectually engaged with, you know, his his villain in some way. And again, I mean, like, you know, Otto would really not get the best of, of Spidey again until the Superior era. Um, so, I mean, it it, it kind of held, held true for a really long time. And Otto even had like a phobia of Spider-Man for a few years. I mean, that was kind of short-lived, but like, you know, just to kind of drive home just the the psychological damage that Spidey did to him here. You know, of course, when you talk about the legacy of the story, I mean, Spider-Man and, and Black Cat did not live happily ever after. I mean, you know, we would see why they were pretty much doomed in all the stories that followed this one. You know, again, at the time, like you're, you're, you're just kind of rooting for it because, you know, 
Like Spidey, Spidey was kind of inspired to do great things over the love he had for this woman here, and that that was pretty impressive. I mean, I I don't know if if you know with his other previous relationships in the comics, if he was ever that engaged as Spider Man to kind of fight for someone's honor like that. I mean, you could say maybe for going after she died, but I mean, again, like it was it was already over at that point. So I mean, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I do think there was a missed opportunity to explore, and there has been for a while, to explore the relationship between Felicia and Otto as established in this story. I mean, Superior dives into it very briefly, and I think that that could have like definitely sustained some more attention because they do have an interesting relationship here. You know, a tormentor and, and, and the in the and person who nearly killed Felicia. I think that that can be interesting, and I wonder, you know. I could see maybe Nick Spencer exploring that now that it seems like Otto is coming back on the playing field and Felicia has kind of been rightfully restored in terms of her place along Spider-Man's side, you know, in whatever role that she currently has, I quite like. But um, I'm curious, you know, looking back at our history with this story, you know, we talked about this nearly eight years ago or maybe exactly eight years ago on this show. But, you know, I'm more interested in like even before that, your history, your first Amazing Spider-Man comic was kind of an issue, you know, a decade removed, but still dealing with the fallout of this storyline. Did you know the first time you read this, was this kind of an important story to you because it in some ways was formative to your introduction to Spider-Man? Yeah, I, I would say so. I mean, it definitely give context because, yeah, I mean, like those first few issues of Spider-Man I read were they were ASM 296 and 297. And at that point, that was the spy, that Doc Ock phobia of Spidey. And like I had, you know, I had had a very loose knowledge of Spider-Man prior to reading the comics for the first time. And like I had known Doc Ock as a villain of Spider-Man. So like for the life of me. I really couldn't understand, like, where is this coming from? Like, why is his his enemy so afraid of him? And it really didn't make sense. And, and you know, you think about all the years of comics that I read that followed where Otto was kind of not one of the main villains. And, you know, something didn't quite add up for me. When I, I finally came upon this story, and I think it was because I found the floppies, if you, if you will, in a, in a, at a, at a con, you know? And I was like, all right, they're, they're a buck each. Let me give this a read. And I was like, wow, this is like, this is impressive stuff. But like, this was also like probably 20 years removed from when I first read those other comics. So like, it was, it was really eye opening for me coming to these comics when I did and kind of putting that all in context and, and all the pieces kind of piecing together and that's a big reason frankly why it, it is definitely one of my favorite stories i mean i you know i mean i would have to map it out but like it's probably within the top 10 or top 15 of spider-man stories of all time for me i mean like i that's that's how much i adore it and just to be clear this was not included in our essentials discussion from several years ago because we had already covered it on the show and we wanted to cover new books and i i think we probably looking back on it should have discussed it in greater detail there, but that list is in no way official. So uh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not losing too much sleep over it. As for me, you know, I came to this much later because my access to comics really was limited to amazing Spider-Man for much of my life because I could only afford 
with my limited allowance or whatever money I made to pick up one book. And that's what made the clone saga so vexing uh, for me as a, as a kid, you know, and, and having limited access to back issues. Th- this was not one I, I really discovered until much later on into my rereading of Spider-Man. I, I think even maybe for our show was the first time that I really dived into reading this. And I really like this issue, but it doesn't hold quite the place of nostalgia for me. I, I respect it as a, like a, a piece of craft and a story that I really enjoy. I don't know that it's in my favorite Spider-Man stories, uh, mainly I think because uh like artistic reasons. I just, uh, there, there's some great art in here. I think I have greater nostalgia and appreciation for art in other books. It, it's weird to kind of like look at this and acknowledge how I feel about Dr. Octopus through this book in that, yeah, I agree that this is probably one of the best Spider-Man versus Dr. Octopus stories. I think Superior being, you know, probably the other one, if you want to wrap that all up in a bow. It, I think it goes to show that like, I really like Dr. Octopus as a villain, despite him not having a ton of like really definitive Spider-Man stories. And I think that's probably true of like most of Spider-Man's villains, weirdly. You know, I, I can't acknowledge it as a really, really strong Dr. Octopus story uh, in its own right. So, yeah, I'm so glad that we revisited this uh, again. I mean, did you did your feelings about it change at all on, on revisit? A little bit. I think I was a little more I think on second read, I was a little more critical of the art and, and you know, some of the other points I had kind of brought up earlier, you know, like looking at Spidey ripping off the arms again and being like, well, you know, like a moment that at one point I kind of thought was like really badass and cool. I mean, was it a little, little, little out of nowhere, a little, little bit of a cheat, like I mentioned in talking about it and, and kind of just reveling in certain things and long goodbye. I mean, like, again, like, you know, I know it's part of the larger arc, but like, you know, if you're going to like break down single issues of, of Spider-Man in terms of, really well executed flawlessly executed even i would put that book in there i mean it's just it's just a great all-in-one story even if it's part of a larger arc like i feel like you can read that and get a really wonderful appreciation for the character and 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 you know kind of the 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 inner workings of being peter parker slash spider-man so you know it's still it's still in the upper echelon for me i can't i can't move off that even if i can find some you know nits to pick at this point in in terms of like the place that superior spider-man had in the kind of like era this is the kind of story that like elevated that book and you know i think all the good feelings we have about roger stern's amazing are supported by having a really great b title that was operating directly alongside uh, amazing and you know this is one of those really rare times where you've got two books that are really firing on all cylinders and it's probably what makes like the 1980s this period in the 1980s like amongst a favorite of all Spider-Man fans it's very rare that like you know I think maybe during the JMS era is the only other time that I can think of uh, like where all the different Spider-Man titles were all uniquely excellent you know maybe early superior like the first half of superior you also got where every b title was also supporting the main title in a stupendous way but i think that's like worth highlighting here as well all right dan why why don't you tell us a little bit about patreon 
Yeah, right. If you find this show entertaining and valuable, please consider supporting us. Recommend Amazing Spider Talk to a friend. We could always use help spreading the word about the show. But also, if you're able, you can become a member on our Patreon. Yeah, we can only bring you this content with the support of our Patreon members, and we owe the show's success to every single one of them. We are constantly making exclusive content for our members. This week, Patreon members will hear Dan and I review giant-sized Amazing Spider-Man King's Ransom number one. Talk about a book that doesn't count. Woof. And (laughs) that's what retailers, I think, thought, uh, unfortunately. Why not take that $3.99, the price of a new comic, unless it's giant-sized King Ransom number one, which was $5.99. But you can take that $3.99 and put it towards a month's subscription to support this show and start receiving our Patreon content. That way you'll hear our Patreon-exclusive review podcast on every new issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the giant-sized ones, the same week they come out, instead of waiting for it to arrive in our public podcasting feed. And if you contribute $10 a month, you gain access to exclusive artwork from famous Spider-Man artists commissioned exclusively for our members. Uh, This season, we'll be mailing out a print from Spider-Man Finding Doc Ock as his friends look on, drawn by official Marvel artist Federico Vincentini in colors and inks. Plus, every episode, we release a new episode-specific desktop background created for us by artist Nick Cagnetti for our patrons to enjoy. Yeah, this month is going to be like a lot of Otto Octavio stuff because you got that awesome Federico Vincentini artwork, which is from one of my favorite Dr. Octopus stories. Here I am going back on my word <laughs> where where they fought on the Ferris wheel in Coney Island. Also, we got that Nick Cagnetti art of the Owl Octopus War that you know you can see if you're watching this on YouTube. Yeah, but we know this is a hard time for everybody as it is for us too. So we appreciate anyone who supports the show just by listening and sharing. But, you know, if you do have the means, please join our Patreon to support the continued existence of our show. Just follow the link in the description. And again, a thank you to all the members who already make this show possible. But alas, it's that time. Time for all good things to come to an end. So we want to say thank you to you the listeners and viewers for tuning in to this episode of The Amazing Spider Talk. Yeah, this episode was edited by Rick Coase with production support from Andy Myers. Our artwork comes handcrafted by artists Ron Friends, Sal Busema, Ray Sumzer, and Nick Cagnetti. Our theme songs were produced by Rylan Bojack and Spider Madge, plus our introduction animation and musical stinger, comes from Josh Sutton from the YouTube show Panels to Pixels. Dan, this was a lot of fun. So what do we got coming up next? What's going to top this one? (laughs) Well, Mark, we're still working on it. Um, You know, we have a new issue review next week. But then I think Mark and I will probably be taking like a week or two break because we've got to deliver one of our biggest episodes ever, Mark. It's episode 300 of Amazing Spider Talk. I know, I can't believe we're there. I I both can't believe we're at 300 and can't believe we weren't at 300 a long time ago. This is our multiple points of articulation uh, episode, isn't it? Our McFarlane, Michelinie one? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I'm so excited about it. We've got a bunch of things that we're cooking up for you that are going to take a little bit longer to kind of arrange. So, you know, please be patient with us, but 
We want to deliver stuff when it's due. I'm not delivering episode 300 as episode 301. It's got to be accurate. And, you know, comics are nothing but accurate about their numbering. So we are going to be due. Excellent. And of course, you know, if you want to call in, leave us some some groovy voicemail, uh, you can call our line, Nine Red Goblin. It was ours first. Don't let Dan Slott tell you otherwise. You know, and in fact, you can leave us a voicemail to that fact. You know, maybe we'll get some other goblins calling in, Dan. You never know. Yeah. Again, so that's the phone number, Nine Red Goblin. You can call us and leave a voicemail. Or you can also just send us an MP3 over to AmazingSpiderTalk at gmail.com if you want a message to be delivered to us to be included in the show. If we get enough of those, then we'll do a whole like bit where we'll respond or play your voicemail. Yeah, that should be a lot of fun. Can't wait to reveal what episode 300 is. It's not going to be the four-hour extravaganza that episode 200 was because Mark and I just haven't been able to get to a convention and make a big deal out of it. That will happen in the future. Mark and I are already talking about how we can relive the episode 200 experience at some point. So, But for now, episode 300, it's the same number as one of your favorite issues of Amazing Spider-Man. So we got to do it up in style. Absolutely, Dan. I got two of them. So, you know, that's how much I love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know, just to say goodbye, if you are tuning in live, don't forget, as soon as the show ends, the conversation continues with our audience on YouTube. So if you missed out on Amazing Spider Talk Live this time, we'll be back soon on YouTube. So go there and subscribe and click on the bell to stay on top of all the new live recordings that we'll be doing in the future. But as always, this will remain a podcast first and foremost. That will always remain consistent, just like how we end the show. And that's with our motto. So Mark, you know, just like when Black Cat was dying and they decide to bring her back until I find a way to physically massage your heart. What is our motto? <laughs> wow, that's that's strong, Dan. That's strong. Uh, the motto is, of course, with great podcasts, there must also come the amazing spider talk. <laughs>